Good morning, friends. This is The Daily Answer. Mark Dunnigan, your host. I so appreciate you tuning in. Up to the third grade, most of my teachers had been older, no-nonsense women. Many of them were near the end of their teaching careers. Um, I would guess that many of them, when I think of my kindergarten teacher, the librarian, first, second grade, they were all women like in their 60s, if not mid 60s. In the third grade, I experienced my first new teacher, a young lady called Miss Bates, single, recently out of college. Poor Miss Bates. She had no idea what she was up against. Not only me, but a class filled with other energetic boys with names like Ricky Thornton, Jeff Cole, Kevin Way, Richard Howell. I need to look her up, send her a long overdue sympathy card or apology. The year around 1967, many of the parents of the time were following the advice of Dr. Spock on child rearing, interestingly, in contrast to how they had been raised. They had been raised in homes with discipline and well, where things were expected of you, tremendous responsibilities. I remember my mom speaking of cooking a meal when she was like nine, 10 years old for like eight hungry farm workers. How many nine or 10 year olds could do that today? But that was then. So the new theories of education and teaching children were starting to surface after the Second World War. And I definitely want to improve education or teaching techniques. I think that's a good thing we should do. And years ago, I heard that we need to view our students not as little buckets to be filled, but as lamps to be lit. Yet, we were not little lamps. We were firecrackers, and we were already lit. Also, I'm a little bit suspicious of that some new technique can take the place of, well, learning is hard work. I I think back to the things that I really learned in school. I learned the multiplication tables, but it was rote. It was a whole year of the multiplication tables and going over it and over it. I learned how to type as a sophomore in high school, but it was a year of repetition. And so there is a place for repetition. There is a place for memorization. And no matter what technique you come up with, there's really, you, you cannot replace effort on the part of the student and testing the student and a way to reinforce the lesson into the memory of the student. And that reinforcement often takes the place of some sort of repetition. Here, we're going to do it again. We're going to teach you this again. We're going to quiz you over this again. So, I don't know. It it just seems to me like a a lot of theories in teaching are somehow trying to get rid of the effort that the student has to put into it. All learning takes effort. And if you're listening to this going like, eh, like myself, 
I took chemistry, I believe, as a junior. And yeah, not getting it. Okay. But most people don't get chemistry the first time around. All right. A lot of people pull C's out of chemistry class. Just because you encounter a topic that you're not getting instantly doesn't mean you're not any good at it. But it, it, rather, it means that you're up against something that takes some effort to learn. So uh, don't, don't just assume that since in math class, you might be pulling a C that math is not a field that you should go into or engineering. Many modern day mathematicians and many modern day engineers initially pulled C's in those classes. Those are just difficult topics and take effort to learn. On one day, the local fire engine passed by the school and its siren going and I jumped on my desk and declared air raid. Each week, maybe on Thursday or Friday would be show and tell. And I would get up and the other kids would have to drag me off the stage. Now, in order to calm us down, Miss Bates, I tried a number of things. And I think she probably talked to the older teachers as well. It seems like some of the older teachers had a little bit of an advantage, particularly if you look scary. It seems like it's easier to keep discipline in a classroom if you have a really scary look. And some of the older teachers had a scary scowl. Not only that, but they had a reputation that preceded them. You know, when you were in first or second grade, you would have heard about the third grade teacher who was no nonsense. Man, she's tough. And I think that often kept you in line, just that, that reputation and that scary look. But Miss Bates didn't look scary. She was just a young woman right out of college. And so I think you might say that some of that was a little bit of a disadvantage. She didn't have the scary look of the older teachers, and she did not have this reputation that preceded her as being, man, you don't mess with her. Well, she even took the class to see her apartment, and this would be the whole class, and it was a field trip, and it was authorized, and it was at the Nordic Motel, which I think besides having, you know, every now and then a nightly customer probably got most of its business by renting out rooms by the week or the month. And to this day, to this day, I could probably find her room if I came into that town and came into the parking lot. And um, yep, I could probably find it. And in fact, I think it was the only motel in town that I can remember. She did graciously allow me to put on a play for the class. So I wrote the script for PT 109. The gist of the play was lots of shooting, lots of yelling and lots of dying and kind of long drawn out death scenes. Well, that's the imagination of a third grade boy. Maybe I need to consult my lawyer and go after some of the recent Hollywood movies for copyright infringement because it seems like a number of the Hollywood movies are 
a plot line of nothing more than lots of shooting, lots of yelling, and lots of dying. Hey, wait a minute. That's my plot line. That's my script. I do like, though, when things can be summed up in a one, in like one phrase, or just a very simple phrase. Someone noted that a real country music song is four chords and the truth. And I think when I was little, a third grade boy enjoyed lots of shooting, lots of yelling, and lots of dying. That's what he was looking for. Now, there was a sense that that year was wonderful. It was an amazing year. At the same time, I don't think I learned much as far as academics were concerned. In fact, when I entered fourth grade the following fall, the fourth grade teacher immediately informed me and the other boys coming from that class that we had a lot of catching up to do. The party was over. We had had our fun. And now was the time to buckle down. I believe the fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Lopez, had been given the heads up. You've got some rambunctious boys headed your way. And she was ready. She was ready for us. Now, in the fifth grade, we had a music teacher, Mr. Farmer. He would also be my seventh grade basketball coach. And he came into each classroom for a music lesson, maybe once a week, maybe twice a month for about an hour. And, you know, he, he it was kind of just like basic music lessons. It would be singing. He brought in, you know, just some really what you might say rudimentary like instruments like the um, the maracas and a tambourine and a couple of sticks that you, you know, bang together and. And, and the thing that you rub the stick against, that you kind of rake against it, whatever the name of that little instrument is. And, okay, getting some basic fundamentals on music. Well, one day he shows up, and he had a joke for us. And he said, what is yellow and red all over? I think that's how the joke went. Well, I think the punchline was supposed to be something like an embarrassed banana. And... Well, I did not wait for him to deliver, to deliver his punchline. I blurted out, your wife. And the entire class fell apart. And I don't think he ever told us the rest of the joke. Now, his wife actually did work for the school district. And years later, when in high school and I was working at the local IGA, she would come in for her weekly shopping. And I would just double check to see if she looked like a banana that was red all over. And no, no similarity at all on that one. Over the years, I guess I maintained somewhat an image of a class clown. For even when in my senior year of high school, being student body president, I was still voted by my classmates as the funniest. This also apparently started long before that eventual year in the eighth grade. Years before, my aunt in Redmond always told two stories about my younger days. One story involved me that I went into the kitchen and she had a bunch of bananas and I carefully opened up one banana and took the banana out and consumed it. 
And then I put the peel back as if it still had a banana in it. Well, she was making a fruit salad and grabbed for a banana and all she got was the peel. And she just thought that that was the funniest thing. And she 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 told that story as long as she lived. And even when I was in my 50s, she told that story. Then the other story was that when I was little, I had a, it would be a crew cut, I think. Other people called it a pig shave. It was just where they kind of buzzed your head and you just had stubble. You just had a, you know, stubble. It kind of looked a little bit like that guy. You know, that that little game that you can play has a man's face on it and a little magnet and stuff where you can make him a beard, but he's bald-headed or you might put a little stubble on his head. Well, that's what I look like. I, I, I look like that man with a little bit of stubble on his head. And there I was. One morning in her kitchen and looking at her, eyeballing her and my mind, the wheels of a mind were spinning. And there I was sitting there with my close buzz crew cut. And I said, Aunt Margaret, and Aunt Margaret had jet black curly hair and a good head, good head of it. I said, Aunt Margaret, do you want to have a hair pulling contest? Well, that just kind of baffled her. And she just kind of, you know, muttered a couple of things and then laughed because <laughs> she realized what I was thinking that I could grab her, her hair pretty good. But the thing is, I had no hair on my head to grab. She would remind me of that encounter virtually every time I visited her over the years. Just a good remember that the, the thoughts of childhood are long, long thoughts. Keep that in mind when you're parenting your children. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, Ephesians 6, verse 4. Bring them up in the way that they should walk, book of Proverbs, chapter 22. And create a scenario. Be a good example as a parent where years after you're gone, when they're in their 60s and 70s and 80s, that they'll be thinking the lessons you taught them, the example that you set, the course that you sought to chart for them. Yeah, when you are 80, when you are 80 years old, believe it or not, you are you will be thinking about your mind now and then will go back to things that mom and dad said to you or the example that they set when you were three years old. This is Mark Dunnigan for The Daily Answer. Until next time, we will see you in the funny papers.